So for our sermon today, we're going to be continuing on in our series. We've been in 1 Peter. We'll continue to be in 1 Peter. Specifically, we're going to be starting in chapter 2. Our first verse will be verse 13, and then we're going to read through chapter 2 and into chapter 3 all the way up to verse 7. So that will be our passage for today. Uh, And the main topic theme of this passage, and therefore the main topic theme of the sermon, will be that of submitting ourselves to every authority. And and as I think about that theme of submitting ourselves to every authority, that is something that, truthfully, our culture doesn't particularly love. If we sort of think of just mankind generally, not even just our culture, the idea of submitting ourselves is is not something that sort of comes naturally to prideful, sinful man. In our pride, we like to make it all about ourselves and exalt ourselves rather than humbling ourselves and submitting ourselves to to some sort of authority to ones above ourselves. But even if we just sort of think of, of our culture here, even just thinking of sort of the Western world generally, it's sort of a culture of you know, don't let anyone tell you, you know, how you're going to live your life. You do you, you answer to yourself, you're the boss, do whatever you want, rather than know you're to submit yourselves to others. Even sort of thinking more specifically, not just the Western world, but, but America specifically, <clears throat> it's sort of a part of the fabric of our, our culture, our DNA, in a sense, as Americans, perhaps waning a little bit, but, but still part of our DNA, going back to really the, the founding of our country, where it's sort of like, hey, we're not going to submit ourselves to an oppressive British empire. We're not going to have any of that. We're not going to be oppressed by them and sort of sit around, and so we're going to rebel. And sort of part of our culture can be a continuation of sort of that rebellious streak of, hey, we don't like government. We, you know, we don't want government telling us what to say and how to live our lives. And, and I'm even sort of thinking of myself as I even say all these things because those are exactly the types of things I'd say, like, hey, government, it's not your business. Don't tell me whether or not I have to wear my seatbelt. It's my life. I'll make that decision on my own. And I think that that is sort of the right approach from a governing perspective that, that, hey, let people make decisions for themselves. Let them decide, I wear my seatbelt. I think it's safe. It's wise. Great. But it should be my decision. It's my life. But if the government does choose to make a, a law regarding that, I should submit myself to the governing authorities, as we're going to talk about, and read and say, fine, I'll go along. It's not somehow compromising my faith to be obedient and submit myself to that. And so I should, should, should certainly submit myself and, 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 and follow the governing authorities. But it's sort of natural, even in, in my own heart and mind, to say, I just want to push back against government. I don't like government. I want government small. Get the government off the backs of the people. That sort of mindset. I don't want them telling me how to live my life other than a basic framework of sort of basic Christian values. Don't kill. Don't steal. Those types of things. Let me live my life. Uh, and again, I think that's a good structure for government. I'm not saying otherwise, but, but if government does sort of overreach, as often is the case, we need to say, hey, we've got to submit ourselves. That's the reality. And so I'm even speaking to, to myself, preaching to myself in this sermon as we talk about sort of submitting ourselves to every authority and that it doesn't always come naturally to us. It doesn't come naturally to me in certain settings. Again, sometimes maybe arising out of pride, sometimes out of sort of just, hey, government, I don't want you to be telling me what to do, whatever it might be. But I would say for mankind, and especially sort of in our culture, in our day and age, there's this sense of nobody's going to tell me how to live my life. I'm going to do me. I'm going to do my thing. And and there's very much a a disrespect, a a lack of respect for authority, and an unwillingness to submit to authority. And so I would say this is certainly a sermon that speaks to our time, speaks to our world, and, and is 
uh, something that's important to talk about. So that's what we're going to focus on as we look at 1 Peter here. And now I want us to, to dig right in and, and read this passage. I'll go through verse by verse by verse as we usually do. I'll pause at points and interject. We'll do our teaching. And then, as always, of course, apply what we've learned. And so here I'm going to start 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 13. And actually, just before I read, just to sort of set the context here in regard to the whole book of 1 Peter, as you may remember, I talked about holy living being one of the central themes that, that runs throughout the whole book. I talked about that when we started the series. That was sort of the focus of, of the sermon last week, living holy lives. And that's sort of still what Peter has in view as he's talking about submitting ourselves to every authority. He has in view holy living, and now he's getting a little bit more specific and saying, what does it look like to live a godly, upright, holy life? And part of that is submitting ourselves to every authority. And so it fits within that context of holy living, and this is part of what living a holy life looks like, submitting ourselves to authority. So 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 13, Peter writes here, and he says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. And I just want to pause there to begin with and recognize that the motivation here fundamentally is this is done for the sake of God. This is all done for him. This is what God delights in. This is what he wants his people to do and live out, to live out uh, these lives that are submitted to every human authority. And so we are to do this for the Lord's sake, out of obedience to him, out of love for him, saying, God, this is what you want. This is what you call me to do. And, and for your sake, Lord, I will do it and be obedient to you. So submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. So I want to pause here. So he starts out, again, with this big idea of submit yourselves to every human authority. And now he's going to start to get specific and give specific examples. And the first, we'll get to some of the others later, but the first example here is really the government, to put it simply. Whether it's the emperor, as he mentions, as the supreme authority, or to governors. You know, if you want to put it in, in today's language, whether that's the president or, or federal government generally, you could say, or whether that's the state level or the local level, whatever it is, right? We are to submit ourselves ourselves to those governing authorities, even if maybe it doesn't come oh so naturally to some of us, again, myself included, even if we sort of want to push back and say, oh, no, no, you're not going to tell me how to live my life in every little detail. And that sort of seems to be the way government is trending in our country, where government wants to sort of dictate every little detail. You have to wear your seatbelt. You have to wear a mask. You have to do this. You have to do that. There's sort of a law seemingly for everything. And again, there's this, this, this desire for many of us, myself, to say, no, not okay. You're not going to tell me how to live my life. And there's a place, certainly, for advocating for that perspective and making sure are these laws constitutional and, and pushing back in appropriate legal means. But at the end of the day, if there is a law, even if we don't love it, even if we don't like the idea of, hey, you shouldn't be telling me whether I have to do that or not, if it doesn't call us to compromise our faith, certainly, as Peter here is talking about submitting to, to every authority, whether it's government or some of the the other examples he's going to get to and talk about. Certainly here he's speaking, as long as what's being commanded doesn't call you to somehow compromise your faith. You know, if some authority 
commands you to do something that's contrary to God and what God commands us to do, then, of course, God trumps whatever this human authority is. But as long as, as, as it, this command, whatever it might be, this law from government doesn't call us to compromise our faith in any way, we should be willing to submit and do so respectfully, even if, again, we might speak out in appropriate ways because we think laws aren't appropriate. That's fine, but we should still submit to those laws. Right, and he says here, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. So here we want to understand the context a little bit. And the context here is that the Christians here he's writing to, again, to sort of think of Turkey, northern Turkey, that region, that, that's where he's, he's writing to these Christians. That's where they dwell, these Christians he's writing to. Uh, and the context here is that they're experiencing some persecution. And here's what he, that's what he has in mind here when he says, right, for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. The context is there are people all around, the non-Christians, all those people in the Roman Empire, all around the churches he's writing to. They're speaking all sorts of ill things, talking all about these Christians, saying all sorts of nasty things. They're terrible. They're awful. Blah, 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 on and on. And if you think about that, it sort of sounds somewhat similar to our times today, right? That, that's kind of true of our world today. Oh, the Christians, you know, they're just hateful people, and they're bigots, and they're this, and they're that, and they're hypocrites, and on and on and on it seems to go, right? Not sort of accurately depicting us as Christians, which, what are we? We're a people of love. That, that's what we're all about. Yes, we certainly stand for right and wrong and what Scripture commands, but we're a people of love and grace and mercy. We don't claim to be perfect. Often we're characterized as these hypocrites, as though we say, you know, here are God's commands, and then we don't wind up living by them. And certainly there can be instances of hypocrisy in the church, but, but we don't claim to be perfect. We don't claim to have our act entirely together and to be living these perfect lives. We claim to be sinners who are saved by grace through faith, right? And so often the characterization of Christians in the world is just untrue. But again, they're saying all sorts of nasty things about Christians. That's true in our time today. That's true in the time of Peter here as he's writing to these churches. And so he's speaking of that and he says, here's what you're to do. Just go and live godly, obedient lives. Submit yourselves to the governing authorities, right? Don't give anyone extra reason or excuse to sort of say nasty, slanderous things about you. Just go out there, live your upright, godly, holy lives. Submit yourselves to, to the emperor, to the governors, to any of these governing leaders, right? And in, in doing so, you're going to silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. These people who think they know what they're talking about, but they're just saying all sorts of untrue things about you. You will silence their speech. First of all, they'll have no longer any reason to say ill, to speak ill of you because your lives will be plainly laid before them. They'll see you living these upright, obedient lives and, and, and following the laws of the land and so forth. They'll, they'll, there'll be nothing they can say against you. But also, even if they were to dare to continue to say, speak ill of you, say negative things about you, anyone they're speaking to would sort of look at them and say, what are you talking about? These Christians, they, they live all these wonderful lives. You know, they're obeying the governing authorities. They're not rabble rousers. They, they, they care for one another. They care for others. They live out these lives of love. And so, again, it, it sort of silences the speech of these people, these, this ignorant talk of foolish people. And then he goes on, verse 16, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. So here's what he's saying. You're free. You've been set free from sin through Christ, through what he's done for us, right? But he says, don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. It could be all too easy to say, hey, you know, in Christ, through what he's done for me on the cross, I'm forgiven, I'm saved, so now... 
I might as well get my money's worth, right? You know, if I can indulge in as much sin as I want and I'm forgiven, I'm saved, great. So I'll do whatever I want, you know, sexual sin, pride, lust, you, name, you know, whatever, steal, I can do it all. And hey, I'm off the hook, no big deal. He's saying, don't have that mindset. Yes, you've been set free from sin, but don't use your freedom as a cover up for evil, but rather live as God's slaves or servants. We're servants of the Lord. We belong to him. We should be living obediently unto the Lord. And he goes on, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Right now, I think in particular, one thing that stands out in, in that verse is I think of our world today that, that our world really struggles with. I think of showing proper respect to everyone. Uh, our world today, our culture, it's not really a culture of respect. There are other cultures in the world that are certainly good about showing respect, whether it's to your elders, to people in authority above you. We're sort of a culture that says, no, I, you know, we're disrespectful. You think of whether it's kids and more and more you see sort of disrespect toward parents or towards teachers, uh, whether it's in the workplace, there's, there's more and more disrespect to those above you, whether it's toward the government. Again, you can have your views on politics and disagree and speak out about that, but do it respectively. You don't have to mock leaders and belittle them as all too often is the case. We just don't have any real sense of, of respect. And we're being commanded here, show proper respect to everyone. And again, love the family believers, fear God, honor the emperor. And then he goes on, and now he's going to speak to uh, another specific instance of submitting yourselves to, to uh, every human authority. He's talked about government. That certainly is a big one that you would think of. But now he's speaking to something that certainly is, at, at sort of first glance, may not seem all that relevant to our world today, to our country. He's going to now address slaves and their relationship with, with their masters. So you might think, you know... I get what this verse has to say. I understand that that was a reality in the Roman world. There was slavery. He's speaking to that situation. And, and so here he's speaking to Christian slaves and how they're to, to behave and so forth uh, and to submit themselves to their masters, their authority. But that doesn't seem relevant to today. How do I apply that? And I would say uh, very much so it, it can sort of be paralleled with the, the sort of the, the situation of the workplace, really the fact that just as slaves, if you think about it, they worked for and served their master. Yes, there's a different relationship of they were sort of owned, didn't have rights, and were effectively property of their masters. That's not true in the workplace. It's not like we're owned by our boss or the company or so forth. You can leave, you can get a new job. But still, the reality is the slave worked for the master in the same way in the workplace you work for the company, you, you work for your supervisors, your bosses, etc. above you. And so I'd say the principles can still sort of hold in that situation as well in the case of the workplace. So don't sort of throw out the, the remaining verses of this chapter and say, it just doesn't apply to our world today. But I'd say it does still apply and we can apply it to the workplace. So here's what he says. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. So again, that goes for slaves. But, but it also, again, as I said, can apply to the workplace. Probably just about all of us. Unless you own your own business and sort of you're at the top and you don't answer to anyone in your business. You have someone who's above you. And so you can sort of apply it in that sense of, hey, employee in some way, whether you're lower in the company, maybe you're middle management, maybe you're toward the top, but there's still somebody above you. Whoever's above you, right, submit yourselves to them. So he says, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, right? That might be a little easier to do. You get a good and considerate and loving master, a lot easier to sort of, you know, submit yourselves to them and obey them. But he goes on and he says, but also to those who are harsh, 
For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. That's, he's quoting there from Isaiah 53, 9. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins, again from Isaiah 53, this time verse 4, in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Again, quoting from Isaiah 53, verse 5. For you were like sheep going astray. Isaiah 53, 6 there. So all this he's, he's drawing from Isaiah chapter 53. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so here he's addressing... Again, slaves generally, and saying, you know, you're to submit yourselves to your masters. But he says, if you have a good master who's loving, who's kind, who's gracious, of course, yes, you're to submit yourself to that master, but that's a little bit easier to do. But even if you have sort of a harsh, unjust, just mean, unloving type of master, you're still to submit yourself to that master. And again, apply this to the workplace in, in your case and say, hey, even if you have sort of that like obnoxious boss, like nobody likes him, nobody wants to be under him, but that's who your boss is. And, you know, it's like, oh, you just want to be, you just want to push back, you, you know, and be difficult. He thinks he knows everything and he always wants everyone to do it his way and you want to do it your way. You just get to say, I got to submit myself. I got to follow his lead. I got to submit myself to this, this boss, you know, master here, uh, and just be faithful in that regard and, and do so and bear up under that. But so he, he's speaking to that difficult situation of a slave under a harsh master. And he says, you just got to bear up under that and continue to submit yourself. And then he uses the example of Christ. And he says, you have someone whose example you can follow, right? He says, here's your situation. You haven't, in this, in, in this case, done anything wrong, but you might, you know, be treated harshly, unjustly, and beaten. Well, there's one who did no wrong. This is Christ. Again, the example he's, he's setting before them. Christ, who did no wrong, yet he suffered even though he did no wrong. And he just bore up under that. He, he endured that suffering, even to the point of dying on a cross. He endured that suffering and just entrusted himself to the Father. And he's saying, follow that example, that example of Christ who did no wrong, yet suffered, but still endured that suffering and entrusted himself to God. Do the same thing. As you have that harsh master, if you're a slave, or again, to apply it to our context, if you have that harsh boss, just follow Christ's leading. Even if he's harsh and he's unfair and unjust and you haven't done anything wrong, but he's blaming you and mistreating you as a result, just endure, bear up under that, endure that. Just continue to submit yourself and just entrust yourself to God. And then he goes on here. So then there's another category he's going to address. So he's just addressed, right? He's just spoken to generally we're to submit ourselves to, to every human authority. But then he talks specifically about government. He addresses slaves obey, obeying and submitting themselves to their masters. And now he addresses wives. And this would be probably the one that you think of uh, in our world today. A lot of people, even within the church, would sort of want to push back and say, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. I don't really love this whole chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. But we're going to read it nonetheless because it's in the Bible and it's scripture. And it's true. So now he addresses wives. And he says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, 
they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. So first and foremost, he says here, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, right? This is, this is just the, the natural order of things and how God has created man and, and woman and the distinctions and differences. Certainly, there's no difference in worth in God's sight. It's not like men are more valuable in the sight of God and he loves them more and women are less than. In regard to, to being, right, they're both human beings made in the image of God, dearly loved by him, equal in worth and value. But that doesn't mean that they can't have distinct and different roles, uh, equal worth does not have to mean equal position and in, in authority and in, in the hierarchy in the home. And, and that's what's being spoken to here. Wives, right? Husbands and wives, men, women, equal in being, equally valuable in the sight of God. But the reality is there is a difference in authority. Uh, in the reality is God has given man, he has given husbands the position of authority. And this goes for in the home, but also outside of the home as well. Even think of the church as well. And it's clear from scripture that men are to be elders in the church. So this, this goes beyond just sort of the role of men and women in the household, in the home. But this is men and women generally in society, uh, in the life of the church as well. That This is the God-given role that, that God has given to man. And it's to be that, that authority and for women to be submitted to their husbands, to men. And, and that's just how God has ordained it. And to use a good parallel, because I think oftentimes the response here is just sort of in our culture. We live in a culture where it's sort of, you know, no, men and women has to be equal 50-50 in every situation, period, end of story. If anything, I'd say there are maybe even some who would say that's not good enough. This sort of a trend toward, no, we want to see, we won't stop until men are squashed under the feet of women. I'd say there is sort of that segment in society. But, but the reality is this is what scripture teaches, equal in being, but distinct roles, and men have the position of authority. And, and I'll use sort of another parallel to this and, and speak to sort of the relationship of parents to children. You can speak of parents and children and say they're both equal in value and worth in God's sight, human beings, again, made in his image. It's not like parents are more valuable in God's sight and have more worth and children less. So they're equal in worth and value and being, but, but again, distinct in, in sort of roles in the home, distinct in position of authority. The parents clearly have that position of authority in the home, and the children are under that authority. But nobody, nobody complains about that. That seems clear. That seems obvious. And, and it's just sort of the same idea, but applied to husbands and wives, men and women, where men have that position of authority, and women are to be submitted under that authority of of the husband. And again, I know this doesn't always go over well in our culture, in our day and age, but it's clearly what scripture teaches. So, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands so that, and here what he, what he has in mind is, is the fact that there are some women, wives in the church who are, they're, they're Christians, they're in the church, they love the Lord, but they have husbands who are not Christians. And he's speaking to that, that context. In, in the ancient world, in, in the Roman world, it, it, you would sort of expect that whatever the, the head of the household, the father, the husband believes, the rest of the family would just sort of fall in line. So if you had a Christian husband, father, it would be typical that the wife would sort of say, hey, you know, if you're one over, I'm into, and the children as well. So you wouldn't expect to see the situation of, well, here's a man who's a believer, but the wife is not. Uh, but it was certainly the case at times where a, a woman had heard the gospel message and come to faith in Christ. 
uh, even though her, her husband didn't have that Christian faith and was still sort of part of the pagan religion of that day and age. Uh, and so she sort of broke with the cultural trend of just following the husband and said, hey, this, I, I, I believe in Christ. I know this is the truth. He, he means everything to me. I'm all in. I repent. I believe. I, and right, they come to faith in Christ. But the husband says, hey, I want no part of this. Uh, I, I'm not into this whole Christian thing. No thanks. And so that was, that was commonplace enough in, in the early church to have a woman who's a Christian and the husband was not. And so he's speaking to that context. And he says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husband so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. He's saying, wives, just live these wonderful, upright, godly, holy lives, obedient to the Lord, and part of that is submitting yourselves to your husbands, and if you do that, they're going to take notice, they're going to see, and some of them very well may be won over just by your actions. I mean, ultimately, you got to preach the gospel, you got to explain it to them, Christ, and what it's all about, but your actions, just living that godly, holy life, and submitting yourself in a godly way to your husband can have a huge impact in winning them over to Christ. And so that's what he's saying there. So he says, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. Uh, that is very literally what she calls Abraham in the Old Testament. You can go back there. You can go look at Genesis. I know in our day and age today, you sort of would almost scratch your head and be like, can you imagine a wife going around and calling her husband master or Lord, lowercase L, not, not capital uppercase L in the sense of God, but sort of Lord, master. And that's literally what she called them. And I'm not advocating like, oh, that's what you have to call your husband now if you're going to be faithful. Uh, but it communicates it, it very clearly just looking at the words she uses here and how she refers to her husband. How, how she addresses him, it speaks to the fact that she has that submission to her husband, that, that she views him with that appropriate respect. He's the authority in the home in a natural way in which to refer to him in that position of authority, particularly in that context and culture, uh, was as Lord or Master uh, in that way. And so he's saying here to, to these Christian wives, he's saying you should submit yourselves to your husbands. You should be living these godly, upright lives. Your, your beauty, your adorning, it shouldn't be external. Not, not that there's anything intrinsically wrong with, you know, as he talks about here, wearing jewelry, having elaborate hairstyles, right? It's not that that's intrinsically wrong, but that's of no real worth. You know, yeah, you can look nice on the outside, but that's not what really matters. What really matters is what's on the inside, as he talks about. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, speaking of your beauty, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. And then he uses this example of Sarah, right? Of this godly woman who has that inner beauty. She very well may have had that outward beauty as well. But again, that's of no real significance. But she had that inner beauty of, of godliness, of character and conduct, living a holy life. And again, part of that is submitting herself to her husband as she did. And it goes on. 
reading the last part here of verse 6, it says, You are her daughter, speaking of Sarah, you're Sarah's daughters, if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. What he's saying here is, in sort of a spiritual sense, if you sort of follow her lead, she sort of has set this example of, of what it's like to be a godly wife and, and, and live that holy, upright life and, and submit yourself to your husband, as she even calls him master or lord. And so she sets this wonderful example. And what's being said here is, if you follow her lead, you're sort of like her spiritual children, not biological children, as you may even remember. We talked about this earlier in the series. Uh, Peter here is writing predominantly to a Gentile Christian audience. So he's not talking about biological children, you know, great, 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 great grandchildren. He's not speaking of it in that sense, but you're sort of like her spiritual children who are following her lead. So now going on, though, it's not like now he has nothing to say to husbands. You know, hey, wives, here's your role. Here's your responsibility. You have to submit yourself to your husbands, and that's it. Now, husbands, you get to do whatever you want. That's how it goes. No, that's not the case. But now he has some words for the husbands as well. And so he says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Here, here's to sort of put it simply and paraphrase, here's what he's saying. It's not like husbands you can now view just because you're in that position of, of authority over your wives that you can now view them as somehow sort of like less than, as if suddenly they're, they're somehow subhuman or treat them in a demeaning way. He says, by no means. Rather, he says, they're human beings made in the image of God, again, of equal worth and value in the sight of God. As, as you as men, he's saying. And not only are they human beings made in God's image uh, and equal in value in, in, in his sight, but he says also, right, they are heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. He's saying they, they have everlasting life just as you do. They belong to the Lord just as you do, right? They're human beings made in God's image, and indeed they're, they're co-heirs with you in, in the kingdom. And he says they're of immeasurable worth in God's sight, and so they should be treated appropriately. Show them the appropriate respect. Don't think, oh, I'm all high and mighty, I'm the man, and here's the woman down here, and so I can just treat her in this lowly, demeaning way. He's saying, no, right, she is made in God's image, has great worth, indeed is a co-heir in the kingdom with you. Treat her as she rightfully deserves with great, great respect. And we even see sort of similar things echoed. I'm going to turn to Ephesians. I know we're in a First Peter study, but we'll read a verse from, from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. And again, this is sort of the husband's role as, as spoken of here by Paul. And he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, I look at that and I say, that's a taller order than submitting yourself to your spouse, which is what sort of the women get as the command. It also stated there in Ephesians chapter 5. But what are the husbands commanded? Love your wives. And not just sort of love your wives and leave it at that. That's all your responsibility is. But no, he sort of qualifies and explains here. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And just think about that. How did Christ love the church? Just unfathomably self-sacrificially giving of himself to the point of, of going to a cross, taking our place, our sin upon himself, and, and taking the wrath of God upon himself to pay for our sin in full, to rescue us and offer us forgiveness and everlasting life as a gracious gift through faith in him. That's how he loved us. And so now, husbands, we're being told that's how you're supposed to love your wife in that unfathomably great self-sacrificial way. And so this is the, the beautiful picture of marriage in, in scripture, which is that of 
of the husband, even in that position of authority, not sort of putting himself first, it's all about him, he can just sort of lord that position of authority over his wife, but no, rather the husband in wondrous love for his wife, giving of himself, self-sacrificially for his wife out of love for her, and then the wife wonderfully submitting herself to her husband uh, as commanded to as well, showing that appropriate respect and that, that, that honor to the husband who has that position of authority. And in all honesty, there are, there are many reasons, I'd say, if I look at our, our world today, and this is not just sort of outside of the church, but inside of the church as well, uh, as I look at sort of the, the great problem of divorce that's just sort of rampant in our culture, that's just a reality of sort of marriage in America, divorce everywhere. Uh, and there are certainly many, many reasons and causes for it and different in every marriage that ends up in a divorce, different reasons and causes. But I would say a rejection of God's ordained in this biblical model of marriage is, is one of the big reasons. The reality is God has wired men a certain way and he has wired women a certain way. And whatever any man says, he feels deep down, it's just the way he's been wired and made. He's, he desires to lead and have that lead role in that relationship, in that marriage. Again, some man might say otherwise on the surface because he wants to be all politically correct and say the things that the culture says he should, should say. But deep down, every man wants to lead. It's the way that God has just made him and wired him and wants to, in love, again, self-sacrificial love, just care for his wife and love her, but have that, that lead role in the marriage and lead his family. And I would say, again, deep down, every woman, I, I'm not a woman, so I can't speak personally uh, in this regard, but from what I've observed in talking with other women as well, deep down, have that desire to sort of follow and to, to have the husband be the leader. Again, I, so often there's sort of there's this buy-in to this feminist movement and agenda, and I need to be number one, I need to wear the pants, and, and sort of running after that, but sort of deep down, this, this, this desire for a husband to be the protector, to lead the home, to offer that leadership, and sort of to come under that and that's the way we're wired and we're wired to find joy in that when when the husband isn't in that lead role uh, that's sort of emasculating and he feels like he's not the man that he should be and when a woman isn't in sort of that submitted role under the husband she sort of feels like where's my husband who's looking out for me and looking out for the kids and watching over us and providing for us and protecting and, and so when we're not carrying out those god-given roles we're not satisfied in the marriage and i'd say so often what is the case is you know in modern marriages oh it's going to be 50-50 in, in authority, right? Again, it is equal in worth in God's sight. We, we want to recognize that, but, but different authoritative roles and roles in the marriage. And, and when in, in the modern world, we sort of reject those natural roles that God has given, we want dissatisfied in marriage. The husband doesn't get to be what God made him to be as the husband and the man. The woman doesn't get to be and experience what he wired the woman to be and experience in the marriage. And it leads to great dissatisfaction. And I would say that is a major cause of divorce. There are plenty of other reasons you could get into them, for sure. Lots of other reasons uh, for high divorce rates in the U.S., but I would say that is one of the reasons. Not to belabor the husbands and wives relationship here. I realize there's, there's more than just the wives and husbands who are spoken to as we talk about submitting ourselves to every authority, but I want to speak to that at least uh, a little bit. And I do want to come back, because I, I sort of glossed over just the last bit of this last verse, verse 7. I'll read the whole verse for us again. But it says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. And their weaker partner is in the sense of physical weakness. It's clear in the Greek that that's what's being spoken of, if you're wondering what he means by that. And generally, that's certainly true. Generally, physically speaking, men are, are stronger on the whole. 
So with respect is the weaker partner and is heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Here's what, what Peter is saying here to the husbands. He's saying, understand, and this goes not just for this one matter, but, but for sin generally. If there's sin in our lives, that's going to hinder our prayers. That's just a reality. We can't expect to be living in sin and then, and then come before the Lord and bring some request and prayer to him and expect him to just be so eager to answer our prayers just the way that we want. He's going to say, you want no part with me. You're not living obediently unto me. And again, he's specifically here addressing how husbands should be treating their wives in that loving and caring and respectful manner. And he's saying, if you're not going to treat your wife that way, don't expect God to be quick to answer your prayers the way you desire. But if we live faithful, obedient lives, holy lives before the Lord, and to, to be specific to what Peter's talking about here, uh, if we're loving our wives as we should, treat, if we're treating them respectfully as we should be, God is going to be all the, the quicker and, and desiring to answer our prayers uh, as we desire. Again, in accordance with his will. He may have greater and grander and better plans than what, what we want. But the reality is sin hinders our prayers. And so he's just making it clear to husbands here and sort of incentivizing husbands to, to treat their wives well. He's saying, understand, if, if you're not going to treat your wives well and respectfully and with honor as you should, it's going to hinder your prayers. Understand that. But now I want to kind of come back big picture because it's easy to zoom in on what, whatever it might be, the slaves or, or the wives and, and the husbands, all, all of these different parts that we talked about, and come back big picture to, to what's being spoken of here. And again, this is all in the context of living holy lives. This is Peter's great concern. It's not just his. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this is God's concern. He wants to see his people living these upright, holy lives. And part of that is submitting to human authorities. And again, there's a clear, implicit qualification here, as long as submitting to an authority wouldn't, wouldn't then put you in a position to be breaking one of God's commands and, and disobeying here. Insofar as it isn't call, you know, it causing you to compromise your faith, we're to submit to authority. Whether that's government, whether that's slaves submitting to their masters, whether that's in the workplace submitting to your boss, to the company, the people in charge, whether that's wives submitting to husbands, whether that's, even though not mentioned here, children submitting to parents. And you could sort of go on and on any sort of authoritative relationship that you can think of were to submit to that authority and do so for the Lord's sake. And again, this is something I would say doesn't always come easily to us, as I sort of spoke of for myself, submitting to the government, I do it, but if I'm honest, it's often begrudgingly. If you were to ask Liz anytime we get out of the car and I had to put my mask on, I'd put it on because, yep, I got to submit myself to the, the governing authorities. But, but there would be a 30-second rant that was probably guaranteed about how I shouldn't have to wear my mask and so forth and whatnot. And, uh, you know, Liz probably tunes out like all of it, but just lets me ramble on and on and on. But I should be better about that. Yeah, I ultimately submit to that governing authority, but I should do so respectfully and not begrudgingly and say, even if this wouldn't be my choice, I'm not compromising my faith here. I need to obey and submit myself to this human governing authority. And again, maybe for you, it's that same one as it is for me. It's government. Maybe you're like me and, and that's an issue. Maybe it's in the household as a wife. Uh, maybe it's in the workplace. Maybe it's something else, whatever it might be. But we need to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Again, insofar as we're not compromising our faith. And, and we really need to do that because ultimately it's going to glorify God. If we think of sort of what's the outflow, what, what comes of this as we live these godly lives, of, as we're submitting ourselves uh, to every authority, God's going to be glorified in how we're living that obedient, faithful 
uh, submissive lifestyle as we're called to. And also it's going to result in blessing. Whenever we're faithful to the Lord, whenever we're obedient to him, God blesses. And not only that, but Peter even makes a point of mentioning in, in one part that, that uh, it's also a witness to those around us. He says that specifically in sort of the, the husband-wife relationship. He says that of wives, but you could apply that to, to any situation. He talks about it in submitting to governing authorities so that people will take note and it will sort of silence their foolish talk. But as we live these godly lives, as we submit ourselves to every authority, people will see, people will take note, and it's a powerful witness for Christ. So let's do it. Let's submit ourselves to every authority, first and foremost for the Lord, for his glory, also knowing that it will result in blessing for ourselves and also knowing it will be a powerful witness for Christ. So let's do that. Amen. And let's pray. Lord God, submission does not come easily to us. The reality is even thinking back to creation, we were created under authority, under yours. But ever since the fall, our pride has certainly taken over and we like to make ourselves out to be God, if we're honest. We want to serve ourselves, do whatever we want, rather than submitting to authority. We see that in the world, for sure. We see it, especially, I'd say, as I talked about in our Western culture and in American culture where often our mindset is, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to do me. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Lord, and that's not godly thinking. Lord, we're called, as you have made so clear in First Peter here, we're called to submit ourselves to every authority. As long as we're not compromising our faith by doing so, we're to submit ourselves. And, and give us a faithfulness in that, whatever... In whatever regard that might be, whether we perhaps struggle in submitting to the government, or maybe it's to our husbands, maybe it's in the workplace, maybe it's children towards parents, whatever it is, Lord, just give us a greater and greater faithfulness in this. May we truly be obedient to you by submitting ourselves to these authorities, and may we do so not just in outward action, Lord, but also not with a begrudging heart in the midst of it, but, but willingly. Lord, knowing we're doing it for you. And may our submission to every human authority may be a powerful witness for you as we live godly lives. May the word, world take notice. And may it point people to you. May you be glorified in it all, Lord, and may it result in overflow and blessing for us. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.